0: Welcome back. This is Miriam Knight from New Consciousness Review, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Alan Hunter. Though Alan is now a U.S. citizen and teaches college in Boston, he's really a citizen of the world. He was born and educated in England, where he got his doctorate from Oxford. He has lived in Belgium, Italy, and Madagascar, and traveled extensively in India, Africa, South America, and Europe. I think it was his work with disturbed adolescents in England and with prisoners in Massachusetts that led to a counseling practice and an interest in the therapeutic uses of writing. Alan is the author of nine books, and today he'll be talking about his latest book, Princes, Frogs, and Ugly Sisters, The Healing Power of the Grimms Brothers Tale. Alan, why did you choose? Grimm's fairy tales as the subject for a book. What do you think they've got to tell us today?
1: (laughs) Oh, Miriam, so many things they have to tell us. Um, I I guess the reason I chose Grimm was because uh, I was in a conversation, actually, with some young women. We were talking about psychology and literature, and uh, one of them uh, mentioned uh, two Grimm's fairy tales, but she first of all mentioned Cinderella. She said, oh, you know, so many women see themselves as Cinderella's, they have to sit around and wait for their prince to come. That's what she said. And I I looked at her and I said, well, I said, you only know the Disney version. And she said, well, isn't that the only version there is? And I said, no, no, if if you go back to Grimm's version, which is probably one of the more reliable versions because the brothers Grimm were great researchers. So if you go back to Grimm's version, You'll, what you'll find is that Cinderella doesn't sit around and wait for anything. There is no fairy godmother. Cinderella goes out there under her own steam, and she doesn't just go looking for her beloved once. She goes out three times, and she takes all her courage and all her determination. She defies her stepmother, who says, no, you can't go, and she goes out looking for the person that she knows is out there for her, and I said, you know, that's what you'll get if you read the real Grimm. Mm-hmm. If you if you take the Disney version where the fairy godmother makes it all happen, and then you wait for your prince to come, you'll wait until you're really, really, really old, because it won't happen unless you go out there and make it happen. Wow. And so this this I mean this started a whole series of conversations about what people think they know about Grimm's tales which often is only the the popularized Disney version, and hey, that's fine, it's a nice version but let's not pretend it's got anything of real value to show us. Grimm does, and so more and more as I worked at this I said, you know it's time to put the record a bit more straight than it is if People are basing life decisions on the wrong information. <laughs> if you think you're supposed to sit around and wait, guess what you'll do? You'll sit around and you'll wait, and nothing can happen. So that's a, a short answer, I guess, to um, quite a, an important question, which so is: You're telling
0: yeah, me that there was no pumpkin?
1: There was no pumpkin. There oh was no dear, pumpkin at all. <laughs> that uh, that actually does appear in one of the very early versions, which is almost as as uh, crassly commercial as grim. There's no pumpkin. There are no rats or mice. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's no fairy godmother. There's something very different.
0: So, um, are you are you saying that Disney, um, in their bid to commercialize these fairy tales, has totally missed the point of them?
1: I think they have actually completely, totally, un- and <laughs> unutterably un- <actually> missed the <laughs> point. They've told a lovely tale, which we all know. And you know, this is not just a random event. I mean, Disney produces a new version, a new version uh, in, in um, uh, cartoon, uh, animated fa- form uh, every year of some of the major fairy tales. Uh, but they've, they've rephrased it, reformed it, so that they can sell um, dolls and princess accoutrements and things that are pink that will appeal to seven-year-olds. And they've forgotten that behind this is actually a story that is very profound in what it can tell us about the human spirit.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that was, that was Cinderella that we're, we're yes. familiar with. <laughs> and um, I know that uh, the Grimm's Brothers um, classic collection has over 200 tales in it. Yes. And some of them are pretty darn violent.
2: Some are um. very violent,
0: yes. <laughs> do you think they all have some moral or spiritual lesson in them?
1: I think the very best ones do. I mean, I do have to say, and I say this in the book, um, I say there are several which appear which are what I would call, um, they, they fit under the trickster type tales. So, um, there, are, there are several of these, where, which are actually kind of unpleasant and racially prejudiced as well against Bavarians, for
0: instance. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone has to have someone to look down, on.
1: Yes. And of course they are sometimes um, uh, angled against Jews as well, which mm-hmm. is, I suppose, 200 odd years ago, that was a common prejudice, but is not acceptable today. Not all of them are of the finest quality just as not all stories in a collected edition by even a Nobel Prize-winning author are going to be of the finest quality. But the very best of them reach as deep as anything we've got in literature. And the Grimm Brothers knew this. Um, W.H. Ordon, was a wonderful poet. he, He said that the Grimm Brothers' tales were one of the underpinnings of Western culture, that we should all know and he said, you know, all psychology is here. And wow, what a statement. Wow. And he wasn't alone. I mean, Jung repeatedly referred to these tales and found wisdom in the Bruno Bettelheim and said, you know, there's more to this than meets the eye. So it's time we stopped looking at them as just uh, stuff for kids and realized that for many hundreds of years, and I mean many hundreds of years, German peasants who were quite wily and quite canny looked at them for instruction and guidance as to how to live. Really? Oh, yes, they had the tales which they were told by a storyteller, and they had the Bible. The Bible's great if you want to know how to get into heaven, but the Bible's not so good at telling you what you should do if you're in (laughs) love, or you don't know who to marry, or, or, or what to do about your mother, or your mother in law, or your step, you know. They, they aren't The Bible's not very good at that, which is why the tales have this ability, I think, that has survived, arguably, not just for centuries, but for many centuries, to convey wisdom to us that we need today.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there an archetypal sequence to these tales that's kind of analogous to the hero's journey of Joseph Campbell?
1: Yes, there absolutely is. And I, I, I'm absolutely certain of this. Not in all of them, just in the very finest ones, which makes up about a third of them, maybe a half of them. We can we can plot very clearly what could be called a hero's journey, which I also discuss in my other book, uh, well, my book on archetypes, Stories We Need to Know. And it, the reason this is important is that actually it's a major component of the very best literature is we have these six archetypal stages always the same always in the same order always concerned with the same things and in some ways if you if you're reading a story and you say to yourself oh is this good literature or is this you know bad literature a good rule of thumb is actually to say are the archetypal stages which are being explored. So, for instance, if we go back to Cinderella, I mean, she has all of the six archetypal stages, um, you know, which are the innocent, the orphan, the pilgrim, the warrior lover, the monarch, and then the magician. Now, I'll, I'll just go into this briefly with Cinderella. Um, Cinderella starts off, she's the innocent. Of course she is you know, she's the, she's the little child who doesn't know anything but she quickly becomes an orphan her mother dies mm-hmm. father remarries she doesn't get on with her stepmother or her sisters, who aren't ugly by the way <laughs> <laughs> no, in, in Grimm Brothers' version that we're, dis, we're told distinctly that they're very beautiful but they have evil hearts mm-hmm. which makes a lot more sense because the, the prince carries two of them off uh, by mistake, you might say uh, and if they're simply ugly, then he he must be a fool <laughs> if he if he's confused, but instead of which they are beautiful, but they're not they're not kindly people so there's Cinderella she's this orphan, and the orphan has to fit in wherever she can. This is what we do in life, maybe um you know we go to school and we we don't find anyone we like at the age of seven or eight or ten, or maybe we go off to college. And so we fit in, we sort of make do. Mm-hmm. And that's not a bad place to, to be. Uh, but in Cinderella's case, where she fits in is in the kitchen, in the half ashes where the cooking takes place. It's, it's warm, it's comfortable, but it's dirty and it's unpleasant. And many people who are orphans in life sort of settle. The person who hates the job he does, or she does, but, you know, it allows a decent life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, what happens next is that Cinderella um, uh, hears that there's going to be a ball. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So it's me, 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 I want to go. And Mm -hmm. the stepmother says, uh, okay, first you've got to sort out these lentils and these seeds, which I've mixed together by tipping them into the ashes. And Cinderella says, okay, um and she gets her friends the birds to come and help her and the birds sort these things out mm-hmm. and she says to her stepmother look i did it and the stepmother says well here's twice as many Do right. It. Right. okay <laughs> and she pulls that birds. goes back oh, yeah. to the bible that particular <laughs> ploy <laughs> isn't it it's very similar <laughs> um, and the birds come again noticeably doves which are famous, of course, the doves are the birds of Venus, turtle doves, the dove in the Bible that descends upon Jesus. So they're symbols of love and fidelity. Mm-hmm. And they help her again, and the stepmother says, well, I know you did it, but you're not going. Bye. Slams mm-hmm. the door, and off they go. Now, what Cinderella does is not to sit around and mope. I mean, there is, in psychology, there is a Cinderella syndrome, which is young women sitting around and moping.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. It's actually, you know, recognized as such. Uh, She doesn't do that. She says, okay, um, I'm going to go anyway. And so what she does is she goes to her mother's grave. And you think, why does she go to her mother's grave? Until you realize this isn't a real story. This is a symbolic story. She goes to her mother's grave because that's the source of unconditional love. She knows that even though nobody loves her now, at one time, she was loved just because she is who she is, and that gives any of us strength. If we know, if we really feel that sense of love, any psychologist will tell you this, you If know, a child is abandoned very, very early and in the first couple of years has no love, the disintegrated personality is very hard to put together. Sure.
2: Sure.
1: So, you know, here's Grimm, 1812, collecting this tale that is very ancient, and it's got this psychological truth, because unconditional love gives us courage. And that's what propels Cinderella to the third archetypal stage. She becomes what I call a pilgrim. And a pilgrim is somebody who says, I don't want to be an orphan anymore. I don't know what's over the hill, what's on the other side of the valley, but I'm going to go anyway. And I'm going to keep going until I find what it is I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. That's Cinderella. It's a hero's journey. She ventures out. So she does. um, And she ventures to the mother's grave, and she finds that a bird, a dove-like creature, Uh, symbolizing her mother's loving spirit has left her a dress and and matching shoes she puts it on, (laughs) she goes to the ball and you know, bam as soon as the prince sees her, he says whoa, I want to dance with this one Uh, she dances not until midnight there's no midnight
0: (laughs) oh dear Uh, all of these illusions are being shattered
1: yeah, she dances until dusk Dusk is obviously when night falls, and then she says, oh, I've got to get home, and she runs away. And the first time she runs away, um, she um, shins up a, a, a tree, just like a bird, you know, hides in a tree. The prince pursues her, and, and he finds the tree, and he thinks, oh, oh, and then he says, she, she must be hiding, we'll get to chop, chop the tree down, that'll get her out of it. And he sends for his woodsman and his axes, and of course, whilst everybody's waiting, it's dark enough, she slips out of the tree, she takes the dress back to her mother, uh, to her mother's grave, and um, you know, changes her clothes and goes and sits in the hearth again. So she's been a pilgrim once, but then the next day, she does the same thing again. And this time, when she runs away from the prince, she does so again at dusk, just when eyesight is beginning to fade, this will be important, seeing and believing and recognising, people seeing each other. She runs away and this time she hides in a dovecot, doves again.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the prince says, oh, I know where she is. He sends for his soldiers and they batter the door down to try and, I mean, this is not the, the prince who stands around saying, oh, I wonder where she is, he's an active guy. By the time they get the door down, she's, a, she's left um, from the back, the, you know, where pigeons normally fly out. The third day, she goes back with an even better dress, and um, this time when she runs away, the prince doesn't pursue her. He's put pitch on the stairs, and it's not a glass slipper, it's a gold slipper, it's a golden slipper. Glass, that's a a later invention. Mm -hmm. And this time he grabs the slipper and he says, all right, now. So three times, three times she's come to find him. And now on three successive days, he comes to find her. It's almost as though she said, okay, I've shown my courage. Now you've got to step forward and show your courage. Are you going to come and find me? And this is when I think each of them reaches a new level of self-awareness they become what i call the warrior lover they are prepared to fight for their belief but they're not just going to be fighters they're going to be compassionate they're going to allow love to come towards them at their own pace now we know out there in the world there's nobody um more off-putting than the person who who pursues a likely lover and, and then latches on and says, you know, you're the one for me. <laughs> that's the person who allows no space for the other person to say, how am I feeling? A warrior lover is the archetype that is both determined and yet not overpowering.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Courage and compassion. Courage and patience. And that's at the center of real love. Well, the Prince goes out and he um, he looks for the Princess, but not the princess i'm sorry Cinderella she's not a princess yet uh, <laughs> and he takes this uh, this slipper, and the first time he goes he goes out, he can't find anybody whom it may fit um, uh, that's you know that's in one version of the story in the grim version of the story, he comes straight to the house, straight to the house where Cinderella lives because she's already hidden in a tree which is chopped down. She's already hidden in the So <laughs> Who knows it's got to be this house here. <laughs> and he says, I will marry whomsoever uh, this slipper fits. That's a very rash thing to say because feet come in all different shapes and sizes <laughs> and somebody might fit the slipper who isn't. And that's exactly what happens. The first sister says oh dear this thing doesn't fit and her mother says well cut off your toes and she does i mean that's that's cosmetic surgery right (laughs) so so she cuts off her toes and she jams her foot in in this this slipper and the prince says oh okay um if you read the tale carefully it's clear he's a little disappointed as they ride off together, she's on the back of his horse. The doves, remember the doves? The yeah. ones that helped Cinderella sort out the uh, the seeds? Mm-hmm. The doves? Twitter, <laughs> nice word to use, uh, in the prince's ears, and say, look at her feet, look at her... And he notices her feet are bleeding. So he says, ah, that's not... Fair. And he takes her back. He says, look, this isn't fair. Is there anyone else in the house? And the stepmother says, well, there's uh, her sister... And her sister's foot won't fit in the slipper either, so she says to the sister, well, cut off part of your heel, my dear. And she does so. And the prince says, okay, I'm a man of my word. I promised that whoever, you know, I'm a prince, I've got to keep my word. And he takes her away. Now, it's important that a prince or anybody you're planning to marry keep his or her word. So, even though he's disappointed, he he obeys what he has said he will do. Well, of course, the birds come and they say, take a look at her feet, and then they're bleeding. And the prince, uh, prince says, OK, this one's not not the one I'm after. Takes her back and says, come on, there's got to be someone else in the house. And they say, well, we've got this, this kid who sits by the fireplace, but she's all covered in ash. And he says, well, bring her out anyway. So they wash her face, you know, they give her a sort of a quick scrub down. And she slipper fits on her perfectly. And then he says something really important. He says, This is the true bride. He'd never said that before. Now think of that. Here's a prince, a prince. And he's looking at this scruffy, dirty, badly clad girl. And he says, Hey, she's the one. And I'm not going to take any ifs, ands, or buts. You know, my father, the king, is not going to. She's the one. And then suddenly you don't have just a warrior lover, you have someone who is ready to make the next archetypal stage, stage number five. And at that stage, uh, the prince is ready to become a monarch in and of himself. And the, the, the mark of the monarch is this is not a person who judges by appearances, just as a real leader a real king doesn't judge by appearances a real leader looks at the person and sees who that person is Mm. no matter how they are dressed or where they come from that's the only way a really good leader will ever get really good people to work with by seeing into the soul of who that person is it's a magical moment if we read Grimm if we read Disney of course it's rubbish but you know Mm -hmm. Uh, so at that point when the prince declares himself and when Cinderella doesn't run away, she doesn't go, oh, you know, silly me, ha, <laughs> ha, she, she just says that. She accepts it because she knows that they're right for each other. She knew that when they danced.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: It's not who the person is. It's who the pair are when they're together, when they're dancing. What a wonderful image that is of being in step, in synchronicity, in synchronization with each other. She knows it, he knows it. And as they ride back, um, obviously the prince is going to um, install her as his wife. And the next scene we have is the wedding. The ugly sisters, the evil sisters, they're not ugly, uh, insist on accompanying Cinderella to the wedding. And as they do so, one on each side, those doves, who've been so important, those turtle doves come down and they peck out the eye, one eye of each of the sisters. And as they walk back from the church after the wedding, the sisters are on the other side, the doves come again and peck out the oh, other dear. eye. You know, that's, that's not in Disney. It's brutal. It's frightening. I mean, And yet, and yet, these are the women who sought to deceive through appearances.
2: Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. knew
1: they weren't the right ones. They knew they didn't care for his friends, they just wanted the honour. And those who deceive by appearances are punished, as it were, by appearances. Well,
0: these are real morality tales, but do you Mm -hmm. think these stories are really fit for children? Well, they weren't designed for children in Mm
1: -hmm. the first instance. It's only only in recent times that we've said, oh, kids' tales. The storytellers that the Grimm brothers interviewed over dozens of years, these were people who brought serious stories to adults throughout Germany
2: mm-hmm.
1: and this was this was read as real advice on how to live your life and what happens in the world and what to look out for. These are adult tales and believe me, there are some pretty brutal ones there. There are some yeah. very unpleasant ones that I haven't got to yet.
0: <laughs> Which is These your are... favorite?
1: <laughs> oh, it's really hard. Um, there are a couple of them that like are my favorite. Um, I really love one called The Skillful Huntsman.
2: Mm-hmm
1: which nobody ever talks about. It is so rich and wonderful and detailed. It takes your breath away. And I'm sure Disney would have got hold of it by now if they'd thought of it, but uh, it's, not, it's not a favorite because it's not at the beginning of the book. Uh-huh. Everybody's favorites are in the first, you know, 100 or well, maybe 50 pages, and it's as though we stop reading them to our children after that mm-hmm. or skip over the difficult ones. But another favorite of mine, it has to be the one that everyone calls the, uh, the Frog Prince. You're oh, right. Right? Mm-hmm. Just come out of the Disney uh, uh, movie called The Princess and the Frog. Right. That is the change.
0: And so what, what do you think are the most um, important differences between the original and the Disneyized version?
1: <laughs> well... I get a lot of conversations about this one as well, um, because a lot of people that I speak to, uh, especially in in counseling situations, many of them say things like, you have to kiss a lot of frogs before you find a prince. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: That's what they say, that's what they believe. If you go back to Disney, that's true. The frog gets kissed if you go back to Grimm, which is where the tale has its most integrity, uh, there's no kissing the frogs. It doesn't, happen. <laughs> it doesn't happen. Do you know what happens instead? Yes, I read it. Uh, <laughs> okay. But I won't say. Ah, well, most people don't. And that is, the princess picks up the frog mm-hmm. and throws him, hurls him, we're told, with all her might against the wall to try and kill him. To mm-hmm. try and kill him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, that's a strong action. So this is the very first tale in the Grimm Brothers story. So it's a, it's a good one to start off reading Mm -hmm. but it makes us sit up and go whoa what's happening here which is exactly the point of the tale it's meant to challenge us well another
0: another point that i liked in that tale was Mm. that the um the princess had made a bargain with the frog but then when he came to claim um the 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 privilege of sitting and eating with her Mm
2: -hmm.
0: um she didn't want to do it and it was her father the the king who said you have given your word, therefore you must do it.
1: Yes. that's a real
0: morality tale.
1: Yeah. Right. I mean, you have given your word, mm-hmm. just like the prince in Cinderella right. had given his word. Right. People are held to a standard. And I think that's beautiful because that's the point at which the, the princess stops being a little daddy's girl saying, oh, do I
2: have to? And
1: uh-huh. dad says, grow up, kid. You made a promise. You're going to stick to it. And that's when she begins to grow in stature. She's still confused. Mm -hmm. Daddy's not telling me what to do. What do I do? An orphan looking for advice, you might say. But when she gets angry, when she picks up that frog to kill him, that's when she gets back to her authentic self. Mm -hmm. That's when she says, I may be young, she says, I know somebody's supposed to be in my bed because that's where the frog is. He's in the bed. She says, Let me let me sleep as as well as you do, my dear. Let me cozy up to you. She knows she's gotta be in bed with someone. It's not gonna be any frog, and she says, That's it you know. And that's when she's that's when she becomes a real person. Until that point she's just some sort of weak, spoiled pushover instead of which she says no i'm bound for better things and you know in a relationship many of my my counselees many of my counselees put up with very poor behavior from their significant others because they're afraid to ask for better they're afraid to say hey i deserve to be treated well treat me well or get out it's the moment when the princess takes this violent action, that she becomes worth loving. And it's also worth bearing in mind that this is no easy wicket for the, uh, for the prince. I mean, he's been told that he must take this risk of someone who's going to throw him against the wall, and then he will try. He might be killed!
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He might be killed. No other thinks of that. But it's right there in the story, in the brothers' story. He's taking a risk, too. And because they have both taken a risk, They've both, as it were, come out of their orphan archetypal comfort zone and made it towards being bold, warrior-lover-type archetypes. That, That is why, actually, this isn't just a convenient story where, oh, it all ends happily, great. But it's actually about, are you going to step forward and be fully who you're going to be? There are so many people out there in the world who haven't become... The person they're capable of becoming, because nobody's asked them to. Nobody's said, "Can you move out of your comfort zone and try something new?" So they marry the person next door, and they have humdrum lives. And you know, nothing wrong with the person next door, but if you've never been out of your neighbourhood, it's not a very courageous decision.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So this story, the very first of the Grim brothers' story stories, is a, is, is a Sit up and pay attention type story. Wow, it asks us, what's happening here? This is about growing courage so that the prince and the princess are worthy of each other. Really important.
0: Well, it sounds like there's a world of adventure in these fairy tales. <laughs> so I, I thank you very much, Alan, for opening our eyes to it. And I I look forward to going back to the original version.
1: Ah, please do. uh, Miriam, it's been such a pleasure to chat with you. And and, uh, you. Enjoy the tales.
0: And I hope that princes, Frogs, and Ugly Sisters will be a smash hit. (laughs) I look forward to the movie. (laughs) 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 Not by Disney, perhaps. (laughs) Thank Thank you you very much, Alan. And won't you please join us next time when I'll be speaking with Reed Critchfield. A retired career army commander and a longtime Mormon whose wonderfully insightful book is called Finding Your Own Truth. Goodbye.